What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Gloves Off Podcast with James McSweeney and myself, Evil Eddie, for episode number 11. Kicking off the new year here in 2019, almost 2020, I can't even believe it. 25 years of the sport with the UFC, and we got to witness a lot of great things. But now it's set for a new era. We have a lot to discuss on today's podcast. We got James McSweeney here. What's going on, James? I know you got a lot in the works right now between the new movie that's coming out with you and uh, you know upcoming fights that are going to be going on this year. But the biggest thing that people are talking about are some of the upcoming fights. It seems like this year there's been a lot that's going on with a lot of, I guess you can call them super fights, I guess, between TJ Dillashaw and Henry Zahudo. You're seeing a lot of double champ fights and DC maybe retiring. There's a lot to look forward to. But before we hop into all the hot news, how did you spend your Christmas and New Year's, man? Because I, I had a great New Year's, and we'll, we'll get into that. But how'd you spend, uh, how'd you spend your New Year's? Um, my, my Christmas is always with the family. I always stay home with the family on Christmas, and then uh, you know my daughter, we do the whole Christmas thing, so uh, which is always the best for me. And then New Year's just went to some friends' house. They have children as well, so the kids are all playing up until night. Just a few drinks, listen to music, and uh, just saw the New Year in. And then uh, to be honest. I was in bed by about 12.30, so it was nothing crazy for me. Took my daughter home, put her to bed, and then uh, I hit the sack as well, and just back to another normal day. So yeah, I was actually at How PFL for uh, at Madison Square Garden. It was really nice. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. It was awesome seeing a lot of these fighters go out there and get to make a million dollars. I mean, I, I wish more promotions had who, who money was, like who that. Was the, who was the heavyweight winner in the Oh man, uh, it was Josh Copeland going up against a light heavyweight. What was his name? Uh, uh, Silas. Silas, I think his last name was. Mm-hmm. Big underdog. Josh Copeland, I think, you used to train with him, right? That's right. He used to train out in Denver. God, this is probably on the verge of nine, eight, nine years ago. He was training with us out there. When um, had, did he win the fight? How did he go? I. It's really weird, and maybe you can give some insight into it. I don't know if it was nerves going into this fight, but Josh Copeland, I mean, we've seen it, like, his style where he puts his head down, he pushes forward with those hit, uh, big, heavy shots, but it seemed like, you know, it was a five-round fight, and he wasn't holding his hands up a lot, and it just seemed like he gassed out really quick. I, I didn't really understand, uh, you know, the, the game plan there with what was going on. What gym was he, training, what gym was he coming out of, you know? I believe he's still in Denver. I believe he's still in De- uh, Wait, Denver. He's still grudge? Yeah, training with, oh. alongside Justin Gaethje and all them over there. Yeah, that's probably... I mean, I don't know about the, uh, Justin and them guys, but um, uh, Josh was there, uh, Grudge, when I was there with Trevor Whitman. Trevor Whitman was the coach. Um, uh, I won't get into Trevor, but... Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a shame. But, I mean, Josh was always a nice, very nice kid, a nice guy. And I haven't seen him fight for many, many years. So I can't talk about how he is today. I may talk about how he was eight or nine years ago. And a lot of people changed back then. I mean, back then I was just starting MMA really myself, so on the UFC scene. So I was very minimal with my groundwork of wrestling as well. But um, Josh was always a nice, a nice kind of kid and, and um, a big softie in the gym. And to be honest, he was on the early stages back then, but he always had a bit of a cardio issue. He was always a bit of a, a thicker guy, a heavier guy, if you like. Wasn't in the best of shapes. Um, technical, but, but yeah, again, this is, this is eight or nine years ago. He wasn't very good back then. I haven't seen him today, so to make a, a comment on how he is today would be kind of a bit outlandish for me. But um, 
I mean, if you're if you're fighting for a million dollars, and I mean actually a million dollar check at the end of that fight, there's no excuse not to be um, in shape, right? Yeah, and you know what? Here's the thing about PFL. I think they did a, an amazing job, you know, putting a lot of money on the line for fighters to go in there, changing things up. Not only that, but it's a new era, like I said at the beginning of the podcast with ESPN. But this was in the works PFL back in. I was offered that tournament seven or eight years ago. They, they were trying to make this happen seven or eight years ago. With World Series of Fighting, uh, wow. World Series of Fighting. That's, what they, that's how they officially broke on the scene. But they were going to have a tournament for a million dollars, and um, everyone was going to jump in and, and try to get it. And then, um, and of course, at the time I was training with Ray Sefo in Las Vegas, so I was... I got offered to be in the tournament, but it was, like I said, seven, eight years ago. Nothing ever come of it, and then they were looking at just doing the normal shows. They couldn't get the million dollars or whatever the reason was. Um, and then uh, they offered me a fight against Tyrone Spong when he was going to fight, but the money was, for me, it was terrible money for me at the time um, to fight Tyrone because I knew what Tyrone would be asking for, and it wasn't what they was offering me, and I was the. I mean, if I was fighting Tyrone in Thai boxing, um, because he's more a bit more apparent in Thai boxing than I have, I'd imagine he would get the lion's share. But I was a UFC veteran, and it was his first ever MMA fight. There was no reason for him to get paid more than me, and they were going to pay him three times more than what they was offering me. So um, I didn't take the fight. And in the end, they got Tyrone the fight. Some young kid. Um, and they paid him two thousand dollars, wow. and I think he took Tyrone on a year. And I think he Tyrone beat him with head kicks or something like two or three head kicks. Tyrone got paid, I think it was thirty-five or forty thousand dollars, and um, they paid the kid fifteen hundred bucks. I think it was he took it on a, a you know short notice. But um, yeah, it was it was it was really strange. But um, yeah, they've been trying to make this work for a long time. So it's it's good for the guys out there to actually see that the tournaments come around. I mean, a million dollars is life changing money. Um, so it's it's fantastic. But um, I'm sure they're not going to put one on every every month. <laughs> it's going to be uh, once a year, and imagine at most, you know, because it's a lot of money to come up with and a lot of revenue to come back. And really. It's a great tournament for some guys coming up because all the major high-level guys are signing contracts, right? UFC, Bellator, 1FC, KSW, they're all signed up to the hill. So if you're free-floating around that league, it's really the chances you're not really going to fight a top high-level guy. Like, no disrespect to Josh or, or the other guy, I don't even know who he is. Um, I, 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 I'm not saying he's not high level, but they're not on the major league scene, do you know what I mean? They're not in the Premier League of, of, of the MMA section. So, for them to, to fight for a million bucks, I mean, anyone to fight for a million dollars is fantastic. But, of course, if you're coming up the ranks and you get a million dollars, I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. I mean, as soon as we got out, we got out literally exactly at midnight. Uh, Kayla Harrison, I mean, everyone was just in such bright spirit. And as soon as we got out, we walked out the VIP uh, exit over there. So you had all the fighters and media kind of stand together, and it was raining out. And then here comes Lance Palmer with a big smile on his face, singing, you know, fat guy in a little coat with the belt on. And there, there was nothing bothering him. And it's moments like that where you see these guys who have been in the scene for so many years finally get a chance to make a good paycheck to go home and on new year's it's just such a good well they deserve it because it's kind of like the sport owes them something they're in debt to the sport do you know what i mean the sport's in debt to them it's like a gambler that's lost you know all his money on the table you know eventually to get that money back or to get 
ahead is, is fantastic for them, but you just got to then decide what, what's next. I don't know what's next for Lance, but he's obviously had a lot of fights over the years. And um, I mean, listen, anybody gets paid a million dollars, geez, that's, that's fantastic. That's why when, you know, when uh, Conor McGregor was going to get a hundred million, like, you know, you're talking about a hundred million dollars for MMA fire. That's, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. So for him to pay, get it in boxing, in get it anywhere he can in the fight world. It's actually, you know, that's fantastic. I can't hate on anybody that gets that. So um, that's absolutely amazing. I'm very happy for him. And it's taken, like you said, it's taken a long time for this to happen. So I'm sure there's a lot of fighters who are coming at the end of their UFC contract. You know, they're they're, they're seeing a million dollars on the line with you know guys that. Not many people know of. I mean, obviously Lance Palmer, Josh Copeland. There are big names that made it to the to the finals, but there, there's a lot of people. That's a lot of money if they're only making twenty, thirty thousand dollars in the UFC. What, what what we've also got to put into play is, I mean, how is the how is the company affording this? You know, because I'm not sure they're not getting that in pay per view revenues. Um, I don't know if it even was pay per view, right? So, it, I mean, yes, listen, it's either one off. That's an amazing venture. Is it going to be a consistent venture? I don't know. I really don't know. Is it a good business plan for your business? I mean, they turn over that much money, they can afford to give away a million dollars, hand over fist. I mean, that's, it's very difficult. It's a very difficult one to choose. I mean, how big was the arena? It was actually at the Madison Square Garden Theater, which is now called the Hulu Theater. You guys might remember they had the UFC 205 press conference there. Um, it, it's a theater, right? It's in the same building, but definitely a little bit smaller. However... That place was sold out, packed to the brim. It, it was going nuts. How many? Yeah, but how many thousands does it hold? It, it not much, not much at all. It's it's a theater. It's a theater. Oh, so what? Three, four thousand? You, you know what? It kind of reminded me. It, it's smaller than Mohegan. Uh, yeah, I'd say okay. about three thousand, maybe tops, tops. But so, so I'm saying they're not making a million dollars on pay, on ticket sales. I don't know if they made it on pay per view. Um, I mean, it's hard for a company to. To revenue that, I mean, obviously, great sponsorship would have helped. Um, either way, that's that's their issue, and that's what they're dealing with. They obviously know what they're doing as a company. Um, they've got some smart people on the board and, and running the company, so I'm sure they know what they're doing. I would just be surprised when the next one would be. I don't, in my opinion, I don't think it'd be too soon, but who knows. Well, another huge thing that people are finding out about now, like I said, the ESPN era is now upon us, and a lot of people are a little upset because there's only going to be four aired on cable, four events for the UFC going to be aired on cable. All the other fight cards are either going to be pay-per-view or on ESPN+. Plus. Now, we know that the future's upon us, everything's going to streaming, but it can be frustrating for a lot of people out there, which is why I think this year Bellator is going to have a great job. Uh, 1FC is going to be on cable now. PFL, I think those companies, promotions, are going to have a better shot of you know, getting their name out there with this upon us. Yeah, I mean, when I heard about the ESPN for, for, for uh, UFC, I think it's a great thing, but I never thought for one second they were going to put on every single show on, the, on ESPN, you know what I mean? Because it's too much revenue to be lost. I mean, they they earn how many millions and millions and millions of pay-per-views. So they weren't going to cut that and just put it all on ESPN for free. So I kind of there was always going to be a catch there, right? There was always going to be they weren't just going to cut that revenue. It's too big. There's always going to be a way they're going to make it back. Um, I think still getting those shows on ESPN is great, but of course that's not as many anymore going to pay-per-view. So it does open up a lot of boundaries for other shows to come through. And like, I mean, you've talked about this before. It's so expensive being an MMA fan between 
you got to get Flow Combat, you got to get the Zone. There's all these streaming platforms that you got to purchase. It, it could be expensive to be an MMA fan. Very, very. I mean, I'm surprised that some people, I mean, the amount that is costing now and how many shows and how much stuff is being put on, I'm surprised that they still hit the figures they do. I mean, I mean, really, on, on, on a global side, it's a bit of a struggling economy right now. And people are, you know, obviously people are cancelling nights out or cancelling trips to, to keep supporting this, which is fantastic on the MMA thing. It's just a shame that I think they're starting to get, in my opinion, a little bit... A little bit abused uh, as as a fan, you know what I mean? Like they get a little bit used. Now you're hooked. Now you're involved. Now you're passionate. Now you've followed it. It's like it's getting more and more expensive as we go along. I mean, what's it going to be three or four years from now? So let us let us know what you guys think about this on Twitter at Gloves Off Pod or at McSweeney MMA on Instagram. James, I want to get into the meat and potatoes of what everyone's been talking about this week because TJ Dillashaw is moving down a weight class to 125 pounds. And if you've been following the MMA scene for a while now, guys, you know that they got rid of the flyweight division. Henry Cejudo, Joseph Benavidez, there's not many guys that are staying around. Cejudo is fighting for the flyweight division. So everyone's asking, what are the advantages and disadvantages of moving down a weight class for TJ Dillashaw? You've done this before in your career inside the UFC. Yeah, I, I mean... Guys, I think we just lost James. We're gonna get him right back on here right now. Hey, Madonna Mia, Madonna Mia. Always happens. One second here, guys. The magic of Skype, like everyone says, the magic of Skype. All right, let's get James back in here. Jesus. Bad luck. Bad luck with internet connection. Get James back. Have to apologize for that. Here we go. Bada bing, bada boom. Let me just get him on audio. Because I feel like that's causing a little bit of lag here. Let's give him a call. Let's call him right now. Go through. Come on. Come on. Here it goes. Incoming call, let's answer. It's just fucking closed. Come on, man. This shit is so fucking annoying. I'm sure James on the other side smashing the phone right now, just like I am. Give me... This is one of the most frustrating things about doing this. Is the shitty, and you pay $100 a month, and you can't even get a legit connection. Is it Skype that's just a piece of shit, or what? 
Then. I'm about to smash my computer right now. Skype sucks, man. Fuck Skype. Fuck Skype. Fuck Skype. Here it goes. Finally. Finally going through. We're back, James. Can you hear me? Hi, my guess. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Are we good? What is going on? James. Ay, ay, ay. You want to see me smack the computer in a second? All right, James, you're back. Yeah, uh, it's fucking shitty-ass Skype. All right, we're good now, though. So like I was saying, TJ Dillashaw, he's moving down in a weight class here. You've done this before in the past inside the UFC. What's the advantages and disadvantages of doing something like this for TJ? Um, well, for, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do, and to do it successfully is difficult. I mean, first of all, if you're going down a weight class, of course, you're going to be the bigger smaller guy but of course if you have a hard time cutting weight or doing it the way you can also be the bigger weaker guy right because you're deplenished quite a bit which is what's kind of happened to some people myself i was walking around at about 105 kilo um and i was cutting to make 93 so i was losing 25 pounds um between during fight week from fight week on so from the monday and i'd fight on saturday i'd cut usually about 12 pounds um the day of the, the day of the weigh-ins and then i would rehydrate and i'd be back up to 104 kilo uh and my opponent could be around 95 96 so i was obviously the bigger light heavyweight and um and, and that's I, I got some training methods that i was using from the olympic training center in denver uh, the wrestlers there they cut weight some of them cut weight the best in my opinion and i was using their their scenarios for doing that but um yeah, I mean, that's that's the first advantage is that he's going to be the bigger, stronger guy. If it's done correctly, there is a, you know, a flip side to that coin where if it's not done correctly, you miss weight, you could be deplenished, you may not hydrate properly, 
there's a lot of weaknesses to that too. Um, of course, the other guy could be the smaller guy, but he could be the faster guy, the more agile guy. I mean, there's plus and minus on both ends. It just depends how big Dylan Shaw is walking around that on a general day. So who has the mindset there, the more positive mindset in that in that situation? It would obviously be Henry Cejudo there, but there's also so much pressure as well. If you're Henry Cejudo, I mean, how would you feel? Would you feel like the more positive athlete there? Well, it's not maybe the more positive athlete, but he's got the more easier job to do, right? Because that's just his fight weight. So, so for him, it's more... You know, he's confident where he doesn't have to change much. His diet can stay the same. He's confident in the fact that he's going to make weight. He's going to feel the, He's going to feel very energetic. He's going to feel explosive. He's going to have the gas tank. I mean, this is the first time that uh, Dillashaw's going to cut down. I mean, you have to test to see whether the gas tank is going to be there in the later rounds, if it chooses to go there. Is he going to um, hydrate properly, and therefore is he going to keep his explosion and recovery in time? Um, I'm sure at this level, they have the very best of the best helping them and working with them. Um, but yet still, you never really know how your body's going to perform the first time you do it under those bright lights. And um, even when I first did it the first time, um, it was very, it's a very difficult scenario to have. It's very difficult indeed. Um, I did it in Australia. I flew out and then uh, I, I had a very long flight to Australia from Las Vegas. And I just held water on the flight and I, I was like literally... I think I was about 25 pounds overweight on the Monday. Now, going through the weight cutting and stuff like that, does that kind of take away from the, the technical side of getting ready for the fight? No, not really. I mean, because it's just more about how uh, well you cut weight and what's your game plan. Some people nowadays like to use the hot bath, uh, the uh, uh, Epsom salt bath and stuff like that. Some people, obviously, you've got to deplenish food that week. You're going to cut down your carbohydrates. Some people are water-loading, some people are cutting back. There's many, many ways, and everyone's got to say their way is the right way. Maybe it's the right way for their body type or their mental attribute. For me, it was always the sauna. I always like to do the sauna, but um, everyone's different. But um, yes, it's not going to take away from his, his attribute of, of technique or, or focus for the fight, but he has got a lot more to deal with. He's got a lot more concern. He's got to concern himself about the weight. He's got to concern himself how he feels. He's got to concern himself with his hydration. He's got to concern himself with that. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's had a couple of test runs already to double-check that he can get down there. And that in itself is very draining. I mean, just to explain to people how dangerous it is. I mean, we're, we're obviously bigger guys. You're, you're, you're a giant, but you got these guys 135, 125 pounds. That's, you know, cutting it really close to what your body can and cannot handle. How does your body feel well, course, going through something like that? Of course, you're talking about people that are superior athletes and, and you're actually not losing, you're just losing water from the muscles. So, yeah, I mean, the smaller you are, the harder it is because the less muscle mass, right? I mean, a, a bigger, a bigger guy like myself, I had a lot more water to lose, and I, I generally sweat quite easily, so that wasn't a problem. Uh, but yes, yeah, some of the smaller guys, they can't do them kind of numbers, so it's extremely dangerous. People have died. This is why they're trying to get out of the sport, cutting weight, and they've stopped people from IV in after now because they don't want them to cut that much and then hydrate and then be at an advantage. And these are things that's taken place in the UFC and they're trying to stop people hydrating with IV bags. Um, I think that's dangerous as well because people are still going to cut the same amount of weight. 
they just cannot now use an IV to, to hydrate as quick. Um, this is a very dangerous game because, as you know, kidney failure, liver shutdown, people have had all kinds of breathing attributes and collapsed. If it's done the wrong way, I mean, it's done the right way, it's toxic and dangerous on the body. It's not right, right? You're not meant to lose this amount of weight in this short period of time, that amount of water. You put your body in a state of dehydration, like if you're stuck out in the Sahara Desert, you're putting yourself in a place where your body's just depleting off all the water it's got in its body under high temperature, and effectively you're losing a ton of weight. Put the water back in, you're getting back up there. But it's very toxic on the body and it's very dangerous. So now for people out there that don't know what you meant about the IV, uh, you know, the, the uh, IV water to be rehydrated, why did they take that away from the fighters? What, what, were, what were the reasons there? Well, the reason they took it away originally was because they were concerned about so many people cutting high amounts of weight. So they were trying to get everyone to be bestly cutting weight rather than you know, having to do it and then hydrate and they could put more. It was kind of scaring the athlete. So if you're normally cutting 12 or 15 pounds and you have an IV or two after the after you've cut weight, you're putting the water directly back into the vein, uh, you're hydrating as well as eating and drinking at the same time. But they stopped that and they proved that they can test you to see that you've hydrated or you've used IV bags. So therefore, what they're trying to do is, like on paper, is trying to scare the athlete into not cutting that much weight because he cannot sufficiently hydrate. But that's only if athletes listen, right? I mean, we all know how stubborn we can be sometimes. And if it's an advantage, can we take it? Not that they're taking IVs, but are they still going to cut the same amount of weight? Probably. Are they going to try to, you know, hydrate different ways with food and, and drink? And try? Probably. But the, in my opinion, they're just still there. I'm sure through the years you've heard a lot of, you know, old wives' tales and stuff to lose weight. I remember uh, one of the season of Ultimate Fighter, they had one guy that was talking about, I think it was a season with BJ Penn, where they were, they were doing like, ep, uh, where, they, where they stick it up their ass and all the water comes out. They like oh, yeah. flush, flush yeah. it out and stuff like that. Is that still legal or no? Um, I don't know if people are doing that. I mean, that's, I mean, if you really think about it, I mean, how much... You know, shit, are you storing up your ass? <laughs> yeah. First of all. I mean, how constipated are you? I mean, your, you know, your your gland uh, coming out is only can carry so much. So, if you were constipated for days and days on end, maybe that's an issue. Maybe you need to do that. Um, I know some fighters that have done it just for pure health reasons. Mm. Um, I don't see the benefit in doing that whatsoever. To say you're going to lose weight, I mean, it's that's like, okay, you lost an ounce. <laughs> you lost, you lost ten ounces. I mean, I mean, not even a pound. I mean, jeez. Might as well if shave your really head. That, if you're really that problem, I mean, if you really have that much of a problem, you're down to those minimal sweats, then you're doing something wrong, in my opinion. You know, um, people do now sauna, steam rooms. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of the steam room for doing it. They use um, Epsom salt baths and then they wrap themselves in towels. You see them lay on the floor like a mummy and they've got a woolly hat on. All you see is their eyes and they're wrapped there for long, long periods of time. My personal cut weight method was I always thought I liked the sauna. I would put the sauna suit on. I would get on a bike with all the baby oil on me first before I put the sauna suit on. I would get a good sweat on the bike get my, my system open and then I'd go in the sauna and I'd get it done and I'd do it in rounds. I'd do five minute rounds in the sauna 
five minutes in, three minutes out. Five minutes in, three minutes out. I mean, what are you, what are you guys supposed to do when you stop sweating? Does don't you don't you reach a point where there's just no more water this left? Is, this is this is this is the danger. This is what happens. I'll explain it to some guys that don't know. So if you could think, of my method that I was taught was if you could think of your body as like a car engine. A car engine temperature rises, right? So the water inside the car gets hot as the temperatures as the engine's working. The fan cuts in and pumps colder air or colder water around the engine to cool the engine. Then the fan cuts out once the engine's cooled. The engine gets hotter, fan cuts in, and again and again and again. I've always used that method. So I'd go in the sauna for three minutes, stay active. I would sit down for two minutes. So that's a five minute round. And then I would come out, just sit down and lay down for three minutes. Sometimes I'd put an ice pack on my head or on my heart or wherever I was feeling pretty hot. But it was my, just let the, get the sweat going and I'd just lay there and let the sweat come out on its own. Then I'd go back in the sauna. Once I did eight to nine five minute rounds, I always knew I'd done about 12 to 15 pounds in water. So then I would, after about six rounds, I would completely sweat out until it almost stopped, take my sauna suit off, dry off, jump on the scales and see where I was at. A, it gives me a little bit of time to have a break from the sauna because after, you know, 30, 40 minutes, you're, you're pretty much sick of the place. You want a little break. And then I'd say, okay, I've got two pounds left. Okay, right, let's go. And I'd dig my teeth, oil back up, sauna suit back on, get the sweat going and crank out another two rounds and out I would come. Now, that was the most safest method for me and I never had any issues touch wood. And Other people I've seen and I've seen have big issues is what they've done is they've just stayed in the sauna consistently for like 30, 40 minutes, no break, no rest. But what you're subconsciously doing is you're saying, as yet again, go back to the car scenario, is you're saying, okay, the engine's getting hot, the fan needs to kick in, but because you're not getting out of the sauna and the sweat is not working, which the sweat is a coolant, right? It's meant to cool your body down. The sweat's not working. Eventually, it just shuts down. So therefore, your body gives up sweating. It will sweat for 20, 30 minutes consistently, and then eventually, it will just stop. And then you overheat. And then the fluid on your brain starts to get very hot. The heart starts to get hot. The blood starts to thicken. And that's why you start seeing people having kidney and liver failure and shutting down and passing out and all these other things, terrible migraines and all these things. So for me, the best way it was, it was five minutes in, three minutes out. Five minutes in, three minutes out. Therefore, my body was always slightly cooling down. I'd go back into the heat. My temperature would raise, the sweat would kick in again, as if the body is forcing the body to say, by sweating, your body's cooling down, it's working. But really it's not, it's because I'm getting out for three minutes and I'm going back in again. So I'm kind of tricking the body to make it sweat and sweat and sweat and sweat and sweat. And that was my most, that was my method that I used um, the later part of my career when I fought in light heavyweight. Now, after you go through a weight cut like that, you have 24 hours pretty much to regain the weight. What are the best ways to do that? Which ways did you use to practice getting your weight back, yeah, back healthy? Then, back then, the, the IV wasn't illegal, so I used to use the IV. Um, I would, as as the, I was, as the IV was in my in my arm, I would be eating sweet potato mash, and I would be just like that's the thing. You can't like, even though you're so hungry and you're so thirsty, you can't just gallop a load of drink and a load of food and just because your stomach just goes and just stops. You can't eat it. So you've got to consistently eat 
small but often. Um, for me, my first thing would be coconut water or any kind of electrolytes. My IV would be going in and I would eat sweet potato mash, A, because it was easy to digest and it was a great carbohydrate. Um, I remember when I cut weight in Australia, I made 93. I had my IV bag and I had some sweet potatoes and uh, it was about an hour and a half later, I went downstairs, I forgot my, my band, for, I'd get my ticket, my band for my corner man or something. And as the doctor was there with the scales, I said, oh, can I just jump on the scale, please? And he said, yeah, yeah, jump on. And I got on, I was 102. Wow. But I just made 93, two, two, two hours ago, kilo. So oh, um, okay. I just made 205 pounds and I was 221. Wow. An hour and a half later. And he just looked at me and he said, get off the scale. He said, get back on. So I got back on. And he just looked at me and said, I don't know what you've done, but you're doing something right. And I just laughed, patted him on the back and off I went. But yeah, that, that, would be the, that would be the way we would do it. And it would just take, you know, a few. I could pretty much get back to my starting weight within 12 hours. Before I went to bed that night, I, I would be hydrated and fully good. And I could tell I was fully hydrated because my, my urine, my pee would be clear. So oh. it wouldn't be like a dark yellow color like it was if it's, you know, struggling. I'm, gl I'm glad that you went through that because I feel like there's a lot of people out there that don't understand or don't give enough respect to a lot of the fighters that go through this weight cutting aspect, especially some, like 125 pounds. If you're not used to it, man, that, that, that could be really dangerous. So big props to TJ Dillashaw. Now moving on with the show, let's jump. It's, it's, a tough, it's a very tough thing to do. And unfortunately, people only hear the, the negative stories about cutting weight and they are negative and it's very dangerous. But people should give it a lot more respect. But fair place to see TJ. It's a uh, hats off to him. I hope he stays safe. And we're going to be talking about that fight in the next show. So let's move on with the next topic here, which is something that everybody was going back and forth on. You brushed up on it just a little bit before the fight happened with Mayweather. Uh, did you get to watch that fight? And did, did you see what people were saying about it? Because they were saying that it was fixed. Did, did you well, see that? Or what are your thoughts? They're saying it's fixed. I, I don't know if it was fixed, um, you know what, and, and I thought the punch that caught him, dropped him, it was a clear punch, um, Mayweather hits hard, he's knocked out a bunch of people, it, it's make, it makes me um, cringe a little bit really, because Mayweather, um, it gets a bit of a bad rap, as a person, I've met him, and I've actually been to his house, I'm not the biggest fan of him, let's put it straight, as a person, I think he's a bit, you know, a certain way. But as an athlete, you cannot say nothing negative about the guy. Um, in, in the other words, um, he is—he um, was very aggressive in his younger days. He knocked out a lot of people, a lot of people. Everyone knows now as he's there for the shoulder bump, and he's very elusive. You can't hit him. He's got smart. He's, he's distance and everything else. But you're forgetting, he knocked out a lot of high-level good people and was super, super aggressive. It was only a five-round fight, which, with all due respect, Mayweather, that's a warm-up. He came out super aggressive. He, he pushed the pace, which is not what he usually does. Um, you know, most of his fights, unless he's knocked him out, you know, during the... He goes the distance and outpoints everybody. He, he knew as well as I do. Anybody that steps out of their realm, and I'll say it one more time, anybody who steps out of their realm and goes and fights a professional boxer of that caliber will lose. Or lose. MMA fighters won't be a professional heavyweight boxer. And, uh, you know, a kickboxer will not be a heavyweight boxer. If on the K1 world, it's different. 
they hit extremely hard. They spend the whole of their career just concentrating on two limbs. Whereas ours is distributed between many different uh, uh, attacks. And just as well as a boxer coming over to K1 or coming over to MMA would also get destroyed, like you know James Tony did uh, against Randy Couture. So anybody that steps out of that realm, if Randy Couture fought James Tony in boxing, James Tony would have knocked him all around the place. So yeah, I didn't take it too seriously. Did, did it look like it was set up to me? No, I, th- I didn't think it was a fake. I just thought, to be honest, Mayweather just showed his class and 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 caught this guy, young kid, and he big brothered him. You know, he almost gave him a little after, a little pat, like, and the guy's there crying, and he just like, "Don't worry, don't worry, son, you'll be okay, you'll be all right. You've earned a good payday for today," and it, which is really what it was. Mayweather went there and earned nine million dollars. Honestly, I think that was huge for Risen. I was really surprised when they signed this fight. I, I think you were too. Everyone was. No one thought this was going to happen. No, no. I mean, that's, that's a great attribute for them. And, and, I mean, and I, in my opinion, I mean, even not having it on TV, for the high-level people of Japan that they had it for as an exhibition, it obviously made a lot of money. Let us know what you guys think. Let us know what you guys think down below here in the comments. Moving forward, James, let me know if you think this is fair and how you would deal with this. In this new era of mixed martial arts, uh, it's so clear to a lot of people that it's turning into an entertainment business. The UFC is pushing for fighters to go on social media more, go promote the fights more, get people excited about it. Kobe Covington has gone out there, and yeah, he has been the heel. People have been booing him. He's been, you know, he's needed security in certain countries. He's pissing off people in the heavyweight division. He gets the interim title. Now, that should secure your spot as a number one contender, correct? Yes, of course. If, I mean, if he stepped in and he stepped in and took the interim title, of course. But as we know, it, this is a combat sport and it's, there's a lot of politics to be had in this game. This is not as cut and dry as everyone thinks. So do you think they should get rid of the, the, the weight, the, the rankings? How do you think they should actually go about this moving forward in the future? Because clearly this isn't working out. We're seeing, you know, eighth ranked, fight, eighth ranked fighters go up against champions. And sometimes it's amazing. But, uh, you know, a lot of the fans get yeah, really I mean, upset. I, I mean, I, I, just, I, just, I just never took the ranking system, I mean, too, too much to heart, to be honest. Everyone seems like, yeah, he's ranked number two in the world. He's ranked number three in the world. But this is a fight business. And in a fight business, anyone can win on any given day. And, and at that level, you know, anyone can win on that any given day. And, yes, he's beaten X amount of people to work his way up to a certain number. But I, I honestly don't believe people should take it as in like, yeah, if you get to the number one spot, it's obvious that you deserve total shot, right? You've got up there, that's that's this year. Did the number one spot certify that? No, probably not. It certified it because the last three victories you had against three world-class people and the way you won it. You, you know what I'm saying? So uh, that, that, that's been more for me. But I understand for the every everyday uh, uh, fan that doesn't really... That's a great guideline to follow. I just wouldn't hold it to, and for exactly this reason, I wouldn't hold it to oath, you know, because it's just a guideline. People are making that as if, like, he's number two or he's number three. When he beats such a, he must get the belt. Well, unfortunately, yeah, in in everyday life, that's kind of how three, two, one works, right? But as we also know, you know, there's been a lot of politics in sport, a lot of politics. It's and and Colby is uh, 
he's not the most easiest to get on with guy by the sound of it. He's not. He's not the people please you off. He's not the you know. He's not. He's not the company champion, is he? You know. He's like you know. And everyone they're struggling with it. And then of course now he's like calling out Dana White and saying you ain't got the balls to fire me. <laughs> you know this and that. This is this is dangerous games you're playing. Dangerous games. Yeah, man. I earn too much money for you not to hear. I mean, he ain't the first person to say that and then get blackballed from the company. Oh, yeah. T.O. Well, T said that before too, right? I mean... Came out in the happened. t-shirt and everything, yeah. There's a lot of people that have said, you know, or if you look through the rankings, that have tried to be bigger than the UFC as an athlete. The UFC had nothing without me and this and that. And then what happens? You know, they lose. UFC continues and finds another one and they build another one. It's, I mean, even to this, even to respect, I mean, even Conor uh, McGregor, I mean, of course, he was saying, you know, I'm the biggest payday, I am the UFC, I own the UFC. Great, that was all of his speech and the rest of it. Now he's lost. It's very quiet, right? Now they've moved on to John Jones again. Yeah. And we're going to get... John Jones is going to be the new poster boy, and then, you know, they're going to pick through him, and they've cleaned up his... They've, they've even, like... They've done such a good job, they've made people forget... They made people forget and almost even turn on someone like, you know, um, um, the other light heavyweight champion. What's his name? Sorry. Woodley. Uh, uh, Woodley? No, no, light heavy. Light heavyweight champion. And is, light heavy uh, and heavy. So owns two belts. Um, oh, Daniel like, Cormier. Uh, Daniel Cormier has both belts right Cormier, now. Sorry, Daniel Cormier. DC. Sorry, DC. They've even like even turn the people a little bit off DC, who's the most clean-cut image guy that works on the podium, he works on the on the desk, he works on the fire, he's like, he was, you know, the clean-cut image. They've done such a good job on John, uh, promoting him, they've even made people turn on DC. So, you're never bigger than the company, my friend, never. And obviously, like you said, the UFC is always going to find their next big star. But it's got to be so crushing if you're Kobe Covington and you follow all the guidelines. You get the interim title. And I feel like everyone really understood that in the era that we're in right now. Did he, did he follow the guidelines? Did he really follow the guidelines? I mean, I mean, he did some pretty outlandish stuff out yeah. there as, as an athlete, right? I mean, he yeah. did some pretty stupid things and said some really stupid stuff. And at the end of the day... There's one thing about putting yourself out there on social media, creating a business for yourself, and then there's one thing just being a complete and utter dick about it. You know what I mean? Like, he abused pretty much every Brazilian on the planet and then went to the police when one slapped him in the mouth. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. it, doesn't, you know it doesn't fit well. I don't think there was a person alive who didn't say, well, you deserve that, didn't you? You know, you can't abuse a nation of people and think that, one of them is not going to come along one day and slap you for it. And then you go to the police and you deserved it. I mean, I mean, geez, I mean, yeah, he, he made some mistakes. You know, you can't say, but now it hasn't gone his way. He wants to cry about it. In my opinion, I, I don't worry now. And honestly, man, it, it just seems like Usman, he's on a nine-fight winning streak in one of the toughest divisions. I wish they just matched up Usman versus Kobe Covington moving forward instead yeah. of having Tyrone uh, take on Usman. Yeah, yeah. I I think so, but also Tyrone does, you know, he's a great athlete, he's been around a long time, he's done a lot of good things in the right way, I mean, he's handled victories, he's handled losses, I mean, you know, you can't take something away from Tyrone either, um, I just think the fact of the matter is, everyone's, the sun shines on everyone at some point, 
you can't what happens is people that get a little bit egotistical like Kobe for example just thinks the sun should only always be on their side consistently 24 hours a day they want all the attention no matter what I mean he's a little bit of a carbon knockoff of, of uh, Connor I think that he's trying to follow the Connor and you know I mean I just don't I just don't see it you know what I mean I mean he's a very talented athlete a good fighter I just think that if he just toned it down a little bit and and just played a little bit easier, but he's now made his bed, he's got to lay in it, and now he's embracing it, and it's just got to, I just don't think it's going to turn out well for him. And to go along with this uh, topic right here, we had a fan question from Scott Kennan on Twitter who says, James, do you think that they should put a new system in place for rankings since people like GSP, Connor, and Nate Diaz stay in the top 10 even though they aren't active a lot. Yeah, I, I do believe that. I do think they should. But then again, this, this is yeah, again, this is what I'm saying about the, the rankings in general. When you have somebody like uh, uh, Nick Diaz, for example, who, uh, I mean, how, yeah, the last time he fought, three years ago? Yeah, to that beginning of 2015, I believe, 16. Against yeah, so Silver. about three, going on four years now, right? Because it's been two, it's just started 2019. So I guess say three and a half years. Now, Nick is an amazing fighter. I don't, I'm not taking nothing away from Nick. He has the reasons why he hasn't fought in the last few years, and he's looking for his deal, he's looking for the big fight, and he's earned to do whatever he wants to do, in my opinion. But if fighters are staying busy and relevant, I think it should be over a two-year period, you know, because you can't take a ranking system dead to oath and serious if you do have people in it that fight once every three years. Well, it seems like Nick Diaz, he keeps trying to come back, and a big dangerous part about that is when he says he's coming back, he's talking about people like Jorge Masvidal, who are in the top five, which was probably not the best idea if you've been out for that long. Yeah, but you say that, but then we've seen Nick come out there and fight the number one in the world and, and finish him and show no ring rust whatsoever. So uh, I just think, you know, I mean, we're talking now, Nick Diaz, Dana, uh, I heard a rumor that Dana White offered um, um Mayweather to fight Nick Diaz. Ooh. I think it was $250 million. Wow. Yeah, that's the thing about the Diaz brothers. They always stay active, whether they're doing triathlons. They're always oh, staying... The guys, the guys are absolutely ridiculous with their work ethic. They train every day, all the time. They're teaching, they're training, they're doing whatever they're doing. They're having wars with each other, wars with everyone. They're up in Big Bear doing their work. Uh, they're ready to go at any given time. They've got that... You know, that attitude where they don't really give a fuck. They'll fight anyone on any given day. And and just like most fighters, to be honest, records are for DJs. <laughs> we don't really give a shit about records. I mean, I mean, even just to the point now, this is how the records was. I fought um, Daniel Ilonga, the K1 veteran. On paper, he was ranked number three in the world. And on the K1 world, I was, I'm not in the top 30 or whatever because I fought K1 consistently for over 10 years but then I go and knock him out so now where does that put me puts me a number two in the world but I'm not I'm not signed with glory I'm not signed with the biggest organization in the world but I'm number two in the world in K1 how did that work <laughs> so you can't really take records for you know and on paper then if he was so high on the record status and I was so low how did I beat him you know, so records aren't really for fighters. Records are really more for people to keep track and just a rough guideline to have a look. Please don't hold it as oath. You're going to upset yourself. Or why is he doing this and why is he getting that? 
you know, it's just not going to work out good for, for that person if, if that's what they think. So it's just best just to see it for what it is and, and, and let it be what it's about. Just let them know the fighters don't care about records. And I think you answered that uh, the, the, the best way possible. So, Scott, I hope that you appreciate the way that was answered. Let us know what you guys think about this down below. Now, moving forward, we got two quick things to go through. I wanted to ask you if there was anything that we missed on the Ultimate Fighter or what was a funny moment that you've, you've had in, in one of your fights that you, you, you could share with us? Well, there's one, there's one about the Ultimate Fighter that was always funny. And it was funny because I don't know what made me think about it the other day. But um, it was, a, I think I was thinking about Kimbo Slice the other day. Just someone, I feel like I've heard it somewhere or read somewhere and I just saw him talk about Kimbo and, and it made me think about it. And uh, there was just maybe someone, a lot of people didn't know this. But the guy used to always carry his mouthpiece in his pocket. He always had his mouthpiece on him. One of the first times in the house I saw him and he, had, he always had his hand in his pocket. And I just watched it, I thought, why's he got his hand in his pocket all the time? Why don't I see his pocket? And then after a couple of days of, you know, we got more familiar and all the, everyone started to relax around each other because we had to coincide, right? The first day or two, everyone's still on edge and everyone's a bit jumpy until you realise who you can trust and you can't trust and who you like and who you don't like. So like two or three days in, we were, I think we was all just chatting away and I say, Kimbo, what's in your pocket? And he said, what's that, bro? I said, what's in your pocket? You've had your hand on your pocket for three days. Well, what's in your pocket? And he pulled out his mouthpiece. And I said, what the fuck are you carrying your mouthpiece for? <laughs> and he said, he put it in his mouth like that, and he, and he had gold teeth, right? He yeah, had gold teeth the grills. <laughs> yeah, right? So he put the mouthpiece in, and he said, because you never know, James, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> and he popped his mouthpiece in, and he said, it could pop off at any given time. And he pulled it out, and he went, these fuckers are expensive. I don't want to lose them. Well, he, he put it back in his pocket. He was a big and, target. Uh, it just made me laugh because everyone started laughing and it was just like, it kind of just broke the ice. I think it was a memorable thing that actually broke the ice. And I just thought, I like this guy. He's funny. I like it. And uh, he didn't say it in an arrogant or like, you know, mean way. He just said it as a joking way. It could pop off at any moment and just put it in his mouth. And I was like, fuck you now. And he, I said, you carry it around on the street with you as well. He said, yep. Every down the street, I've always got my mouthpiece on me. He said, these are too expensive to lose. I mean, he, he's, he's walking in there with a big target on his back. I'll never forget watching the debut and him walking out and seeing your guys' reaction. But at the end of the season, we realized that he was probably the friendliest guy uh, on that entire show. Oh, listen, I mean, I mean, we all believed in the hype. None of us liked him because the UFC put a massive target on his back when they walked in because, like, he's the guy, you know, he's that one person. And um, I remember Brendan Sharp's reaction. I, was I think I was standing next to Brendan or close to Brendan. <laughs> And uh, I said it kind of, a very similar thing in my mind, like, fuck this guy or whatever. And Brendan said it out loud. He went, fuck that guy. I <laughs> 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 made me laugh. And I remember looking at him, right? Don't we kind of just laugh, smiled at each other, we laugh. And, and I think if you actually go back to watch it, you actually see him kind of mouth it under his breath. And they put, they put the subtitles. But um, it was real funny. Yeah, he, I mean, he was brought on for us not to like him. But you couldn't help but like the guy. You know, he was very good around the house. He kept himself very clean. Um, he always cooked on the barbecue, so amazing steaks and oh, yeah. sauces, barbecue sauce, and a honey mustard sauce he used to put on his on his steak, and uh, this glaze, and he was so passionate about that, and, you know, he would talk about his children, he would never sleep in a bed, he would only sleep on the floor. Really? And, yeah, he never slept on a bed the whole time we were there, he just put his blanket on the floor, he slept on the floor. There was beds there, he wouldn't sleep on them. That's and, gotta be uh, awful for your back. 
Yeah, but he, he said for his back, he had to. His back was bad. He liked oh. the hard mattress. It wasn't hard enough. He'd sleep on the floor. But um, you know what? I, I couldn't help but like the guy. I really couldn't help but like the guy. And I'm not saying that guy. It just I only say I couldn't help but like him because, of course, at one stage we, we were possibly going to fight yeah. in the house. You know, uh, when Matt Michioni was playing his silly games, and um, so you can't really get too close to anybody because at any given day you could fight with any one of them and you don't want to have carry around too many nice attached feelings because it does make the job harder you know are you really going to go for the kill if you know if you know the story if you, if you really uh, are friendly and too much yeah. but um, you couldn't help but like his character you couldn't help it I really liked the guy and uh, when he when he passed I felt very sad about that, to be honest. I felt very sad for his family, uh, his children, everyone that knew him. And, and also, just for the loss, he uh, was a good guy, good athlete, was willing to learn, complete opposite of what you see on TV or what Peter came out to be. But he knew how to promote himself. He was making millions of dollars, millions of dollars, and promoted himself very well for someone who had minimal talent. In the, in the, he was very game to fight anybody, but even he, he would say, "I'm not a martial artist. I just, I just know what I know, and I'm, I'm trying to learn more." You know, he said, "Like I shouldn't be even be here," and he would ask questions like, "Oh, James, how'd you throw the low kick?" And he would ask different people. He would ask Roy Nelson and wrestling and jujitsu questions. He was just willing to learn, and he was just a good, a good guy. Honestly, what did you guys think was going to happen when they matched him against Roy Nelson? What were you guys expecting? I knew Roy was going to take him down and finish him, to be honest, because Roy is a smart guy, he's a veteran, he's been around a long time. Um, why go 50-50 and have a, a punch slugfest? Um, Kimbo is more athletic than, than Roy. Roy's got a super good chin, but Kimbo can hit fucking hard. Um, they've both got a ton of experience. Where does Kimbo have no experience? On the ground. So, where does Roy have the most? On the ground. So it was almost like it's just how he was going to get him there. Do you know what I mean? Because Roy is not the most athletic as in like he ain't going to shoot in real fast and get a double leg and, and slam you like a Division One wrestler. Um, Kimbo was very athletic and, and you know, come an ex-football player and stuff like that. So he had good footwork and he could move. The only thing that was going against uh, Kimbo at the time was he had bad knees. Um, so he, he wasn't as mobile as he used to be. So... Um, Oh, eventually Roy got the body clinch and took him down and, and got the crucifix and that was all she wrote. Even after that moment, he was just so into learning from Rampage and, and going to practice, it seemed like. But I remember that moment when you walked in the bedroom and you're like, Kimbo, uh, we're probably going to fight, man. Like, Kimbo was psyched about it. <laughs> he was all for it. Well, no, he was excited to fight for sure. But he also knew, because we would talk about it, and we would say, listen, you know, me and Brendan Sharp had a deal. We were never going to fight each other unless it was in the final. We had that deal from day one. There were not, no one's going to make us fight each other unless we're in the final. So that wasn't going to happen. And then with Kimbo, um, the way things were looking out, it was looking like once he was out, that out of all the people they were going to get to replace Mitrione and give a second chance, of course they bring the biggest pay-per-view follower, do you know what I mean? The biggest person has the most following. So, I mean, what would have hit bigger headlines if Kimbo would have come back and got a second chance in the Armour Fighter show? So that would have hit the ratings. So we all knew that. So once I saw Matt was fucking around in the, he was laying in the closet, he wouldn't even come out for days. He laid in the closet floor and and after he fought um, 
junk. He's got junk. He, he, he took a bit of a beating during the fight, and he, he, he said he wasn't fit to fight. He got right. He, they called the medic and all sorts to come to him. Medic said there was nothing really wrong with him at the time. He just he said he was overheating and dehydrated. So then the doctor said, "Okay, we'll, we'll give you an IV." You know, do you want to go home? He said no. So they let him stay, and then he eventually got the chance to fight. And but at the time we thought he wasn't going to. I went and saw Kimbo and said, "Listen, man, you know we're probably going to fight." So I was kind of just giving him a. Um, a heads up that I'm not going to be friendly as I have been now until the fight, until after the fight, you know. So I'm not going to sit around and have chats like we were doing before or be all cool with each other because I've got to mentally prepare now to fight someone who I actually like. It's funny because if you guys go back and watch James, you were you're actually like a step ahead of everybody with knowing what was going on, like what was going through people's minds, especially with like Matt. Like you were onto his his game, what he was what he was doing. whether he was or not doing that. It re- it really seemed like you put the pieces together and be like this this guy's up to something here. Well, the thing was, I, I had hardly any MMA experience, right? Uh, when I was in the Armour Firehouse, so it was very very minimal for me. So. These guys are all veteran MMA fighters. They didn't really come from any other backgrounds. I mean, they're the NFL, some of them, and so forth. But they'd all still had eight or nine or ten MMA fights, which I hadn't. So for me, it was more like I've got to play the street strategy. I've got to play the mental attribute strategy, and I've got to feel people out. And I worked security for ten years before I, I was able to quit doing it. Um, so I learned a lot of street mentality, and I learned a lot of how people would carry, conduct themselves and carry themselves. And I was very good at reading people in that respect. So I was using those tools to get me through. Sometimes I was playing games with some people. Sometimes I was getting under people's skin. You know, I had to play what I had to play. But to be honest, I was fighting for a career, right? I mean, I was looking for an attribute. People would give me a bit of a hard time about things I did on the Ultimate Fire show or didn't do or whatever. A, some things that edited to look bad and some things, yeah, I did, but... To be honest, it was more to do with what would you do if you had a chance to go and fight in the UFC? Would you just sit back and play fair when no one else was playing fair? Or would you use all the tools you've got in your arsenal to make it work? And that's what I was doing. And I knew from day one, Matt's, uh, Matt was a mental midget at the time. You know, um, He would try to bully people in the gym and training, inspiring, um, then sending subliminal messages like he'd go a little bit harder than everyone else was doing and you know even when we were drilling he would try to kick a bit harder or punch a bit harder or whatever just trying to and you say hey come on we're just drilling oh no I am I am I'm going easy that's me easy and you're like that's bullshit I, I know I'm a veteran in fighting I, 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 you know, I know when someone's going easy I know when someone's putting a bit of weight behind the punch he was just trying to get into people's mind thinking that he was better than he was so um as soon as I knew I was going to fight him, I literally switched that switch, and I, I pretty much just put it on him from the beginning. And, and he, he was—he was, in my opinion, he was afraid of me. Um, even when I went into that fight, I mean, if you watch my fight against his and other people's fight with him or after, he didn't perform nowhere near like he would because he was intimidated by me. He knew that I knew I had his card marked. So honestly, guys, James McSweeney went through that season and uh, with a lot of big names, Justin Wren, Rampage Jackson, that was definitely one of the best seasons. But I was so upset that Big Baby went in there. And I, th- I was really excited for the Matt Matron versus Big Baby 
show down there, and, and Matt definitely showed up. And now look where Matt is. It's it's well, it's crazy. How no, he that's evolved. what I'm saying. Look, I mean, Big Baby had a very good jujitsu, brutally strong guy. He always suffered with concussions because he had a lot of NFL concussions. Uh, he had a bit of a weak chin. Um, but the guy was super strong and aggressive. And if you even saw when he turned on Matt Miccioni in the house, when he got mad at him, it's the most watched you think on YouTube, right? It was like he was going to eat him. He was so mad. He wanted Matt to just make one little move and he was going to smack the shit out of him. Matt just shit himself. Matt was looking anywhere like, is someone going to help me? I was right there. I was sitting literally right there. He wasn't looking and, uh, big baby in the face. And for me, I was sitting there thinking, I want to see how this goes. Like, I don't give a fuck. He's not my brother. You know, I don't care who fights here. I just want to see how this goes. I want to see how it plays out. And yet again, I was reading the attributes of both people. And I was seeing Big Baby lost his temper and he was scared of him. No way was he scared of him. But Matt hadn't lost his temper and Matt was in flight mode. He, was in, he hadn't had a chance to get mad. He hadn't had a chance to bite back. He was too busy thinking... What? What? What I do? What I do? What have yeah, I done? He had no idea. He was just fucking just down his throat like he was just so close to him. And oh, towered over him. Matt just wanted to like, you know, he was like a little kid at school, you know, he was getting bullied. And um, <laughs> he, he just, he just, he was petrified. But when the fight happened, Matt had time to go in on an even playing field. Mm. And he confronted his fear. Uh, uh, for Big Baby... He had actually gone in there a bit too emotional, you know. And also, I think he blew his load a little bit. Like he had, he had Matt in a few positions where he could have finished him. And I think he he didn't pull the trigger. And eventually, Matt escaped, and, and Matt got the knockout. And I remember going to the hospital uh, because I broke my hand in my fight, even though I knocked it knocked out. Um, over. Yeah. I, I, I got plates put in my hand. I broke my hand in the first round. I broke my metal parcels in my in my right hand, so I had to have plates put in. And I remember seeing um, Big Baby there at the hospital, and I said to him, "I'm really sorry, mate. Are you okay?" And he said, "Yeah." He was a bit a bit emotional, and he said, yeah, "I don't know what happened. I just got caught." And I said, "Yeah." He said, "Just fucking, uh, my chin is not what it used to be." But I mean, he already had a big payoff on the NFL. He was getting paid. He was in. He did many seasons in the NFL. He was on a very good retirement fund for them. So, I mean, financially, he didn't need it. I know his wife was very upset seeing him get up and get knocked out again. Mm. So, um, that's probably why he decided to call it a day. But he was super talented and a really nice guy. Really nice guy. Then, of course, you see Matt go on and do uh, a lot better. But I still believe, I don't think he's got over the mental problems that he suffers from. I love hearing the stories of the Ultimate Fighter. I'm sure James is going to share more as this podcast goes on in the future. Before we end today's show, it's only right that we give you guys a quick prediction of what we think is going to go down in Jones versus Anthony Anthony Smith. James, what do you think is going to go down here? Because Jones, like you said, they're trying to make him a big star. Anthony Smith, he's on a wave of... He's just been taking dudes out left and right. He's he has this momentum building up, and I feel like he's he's riding a perfect wave where he can build that confidence up to take on somebody like John Jones. And these two were supposed to fight years ago. It didn't happen because of the car accident or what happened with John. How do you see this fight going down? I think, I think Anthony Smith is a great athlete, a great fighter. He's you know, if you look at him, he just looks like the the poster boy for MMA, right? He looks like a typical MMA fighter, like he's just. 
big, he, he looks mean, he, and he's talented, and he's got all the things going for him. But, and there's always a but, right? I don't think we're at the stage where we're looking at John Jones, where we're looking like he's past his best, or I'm ready to see an upset. I don't think he has what it takes to beat John Jones right now, in my opinion. John is come out of retirement, or probably suspensions, I should say. Um, we saw him absolutely destroy DC. No sign of, no sign whatsoever of any ring rust. Then he get popped again. Then he's suspended again, and he's back again and just takes out, you know, uh, another amazing fire in 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 what seems very little um, challenge for him. You know, he destroyed him on the ground in three rounds. Everyone's scared to go on the ground with John Jones. If you get in John Jones's guard or half guard or whatever, everyone's scared of, of his elbows. Everyone's pulling half guard on him or side control. Uh, then that's where he's dangerous. Um, I just don't see how John loses this fight, if I'm honest. Um, I think, in my opinion, John Jones is probably the pound for pound best of all time. Now, when you trained with John when he was really young, he was really young when you guys trained uh, together. He just went down to Albuquerque, uh, or yeah, he just went down to Dukes, right? Went down to Dukes. Did uh, you? Albuquerque, Jackson. Uh, yeah, Jackson. I'm sorry. He went down to Albuquerque, and did you know at that moment this guy was the future? He was going to be the number one star. Did you know it back then? I remember sitting around a friend's house and we watched him fight, and I forget who he fought against, and. I won't say the person's name because I've said names before on here and it's got me into uh, <laughs> yeah. So I won't say his name. He turned to me and he's like, wow, that's... And I was sitting there with Rashad as well. And they turned around and said, wow, that's... He's got to be something one day, right? And we're like, wow, yeah, that's... that's like That was a performance. Like, that's... He's flashy. Like, but at the time, he was brand new. He was a young kid, 20 years old, young kid. And then, of course, he came to Jackson's and um, I got to spar with him. Just, I mean, wrestling-wise, in MMA, if we sparred with MMA, he, his wrestling was just too high level for me. I was a beginner in MMA. I had minimal jujitsu and wrestling, and not saying even to this day I could catch up with him, but I would have done a better job. But he would just take me down almost at will, and then I'd have to fight my ass off to get back to my feet. But when we would just do kickboxing, he was very talented. And But, of course, my potentials back then in kickboxing, I read him out really quick. If you gave John Jones space, if you if you backed off, if you circled off to your right, if you circled to your left, if you didn't pressure him, he got very, very flamboyant, and he got flashy, and then he got dangerous. Very dangerous, because his awareness of distances and angles is, is like you haven't seen before. It's very smart, very clever, and... He's very long than you actually think. You think you're in a safe position, then his big, long, gangly leg comes out and you're not. And um, so I worked out very quickly when I spotted him. I had to be almost like on his chest. I'd box like in a post box so he couldn't get away. And we would just go at it inside. Um, I learned not to give him any distance. Man. That was 10 years ago. Now... On the inside, he's very good with elbows. On the inside, he's very good with his knees. He's beat that clinch. He's very good at tying you up and getting the clinch into his takedown onto a submission. Now he doesn't have that hole anymore. That hole is not there. Great work by Greg Jackson and Mike Winkle John and everyone that he works with, Shotgun and everyone else down there. Um, you know, a little weakness that he had, they, they put a plug in him 
and it's no longer there. And uh, you're, he's a dangerous, dangerous human being from close, from far, from the inside, from the outside, from the left, from the right. The guy is uh, the real deal. And I'm not taking and, anything away from Gustafsson, but he made Gus look like easy work compared to the first time they fought. That's what I was just saying. I mean, like, he made it look like he went out there to finish the fight in three rounds and then did. He didn't like he was looking for the finish. He was like he was going out there to enjoy himself, to get rid of a bit of ring rust, just to get a bit of ring time. He was then, when he thought, okay, enough's enough, time to do my job. And it seemed like, I'm sure it wasn't that exact way, but it seemed that way. And for it to seem that way against a high-level guy like Gustafsson is no joke. So I can't sit here and put anyone against him right now and say, yeah, yeah. They, they're going to beat him hands down. Can it happen? Yes, it's a fight, right? Everyone's got a puncher's chance. There's a million ways to win. There's a million ways. I mean, look, you just saw Cat get kicked in a eye. I mean, the freak of nature of it is unbelievable, right? Um, and she's appealing that right now. So there's, there's, there's things that can happen. But if it doesn't, and it's on paper, I believe John takes the fight, hands down. Really quick before we end the show, just because you brought that up, do you think that should be considered an eye poke? Or is that, uh, in the rules, that is a fair no. TKO? But she's appealing it's it. It's a TKO. Yeah, it's a TKO. At the end of the day, if she blocked the head kick, it wouldn't have happened. She didn't block the head kick. She pulled her head back, which in my opinion, I don't like it. Muay Thai guys does this in Thailand all the time. They throw their head back like this, let the kick pass. But the danger is... If you, if you haven't made the space, it connects. The fact is, if it was another two inches, it would have been the girl's ankle against the top of her head and would have knocked her head off. Luckily for her, it was two inches further back, but unluckily for her, it caught her in the eye. But at the end of the day, it, it wasn't an intentional eye poke. I mean, it was the girl's toe. I mean, what is she, a ninja? She's going to put my toe in your eye? Doesn't happen. It was a freak accident. It was a legitimate kick. She didn't defend it, and she got caught. And I think it's a TKO. There you go, guys. Bam, James McSweeney with the fire on episode number 11. Guys, that does it for episode number 11. What we like to do is let you guys know if you have anything... Anything at all that you want me and James to talk about on the next upcoming episodes, let us know down below here in the comments. Let us know on Instagram at MMA, on Twitter at GlovesOffPod. James, is there anything that you would like to say before we end today's show? What do you got planned for the next two uh, weeks here? I've got, uh, I'm in my gym right now. The, the just get everything designed, putting the bags up. I put a speedball up this morning and I've made a tire bag. and I'm just decorating away. And it's hot day. Um, I've got a lot of things going on. I've just secured a couple of deals with the local uh, private schools here. So my gym's got to get real ready soon because I've got about 300 kids coming. Oh. So uh, we're going to get real busy real fast. So, yeah, I've got to really um, – that's why I mean. Well, I've been working here day and night for the last week and a half with no help. So anyone's listening and you're in Phuket, come down and give me a hand. You I heard it here. And we got listeners all over the world, James. I like looking at the, the demographic. We definitely have some listeners out in that era. So if you're out there, hit James up at McSweeney MMA. Guys, I'm Evil Eddie from Pure Evil MMA. Tune in in two weeks and hear what me and James got in store. James, have a great week, and I'll talk to you soon, man. See you soon, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that does it for episode number 11. Guys, subscribe down below here on YouTube, Podbean, Instagram, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're watching this. And I hope that you guys enjoyed episode number 11. I'm Yves Letty. Buenos to the end. Pay yourselves. <laughs>